Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 180 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to try to whiz through things as quick as possible. We're going to actually start with a card that took place last Thursday. We will be speaking to the man involved in the fight later on in the show. It was at the Avalon in Hollywood, California, USA. Um, Ferdinand Karobian, 11-0, the hometown favourite, if you like, undefeated. This one was for the vacant NABF junior welterweight title. He took on friend of the show, Blair Cobbs, 9-0 with one draw. Um, Karobian was the favourite, and... He actually lost unanimously over eight rounds to friend of the show, Blair Cobbs. We will be speaking to him later on, but that needs a mention. Moving out now to Chile at the Gran Arena in Monticello in San Francisco. De Mostazao. Uh, over here we got to see Miguel Gonzalez, a man who had a record of 29-1. and one. He was in search of win number 30. The one loss actually came to Paul Butler on points. He took on Andrew Maloney, um, one of the Maloney twins, probably the better of the two and Maloney actually stopped Gonzalez in Chile so he had to go on the road for that one and it seems like Andrew Maloney is the better of the two twins him and Jason and he seems to be a real contender in that uh, in that division there also it was for uh, well it was, a, it was a WBA eliminator not a final eliminator so he'll be closing in Andrew Maloney real good fighter moving out now though to the Centro at De uh, the Centro de Espectaculos del Recinto Ferial in Metapec, Mexico. A real shocker over here. Julio Cesar Martinez Aguilar, 13-1. and Again, we said it on last week's show. The one loss was on his debut. A split decision over four rounds. You cannot read into that. He avenged it and went on a real knockout streak. He took on our very own Andrew Selby. And I tell you what, the knockout streak continued. Shocking scenes when he KO'd Andrew Selby with a body shot shot in the fifth round absolutely shocking um, he also had a point deducted but my actual view on the fight in the first round you know it was a good start for Andrew Selby definitely won the round he was switching stance he spent most of the time probably in southpaw and his best punches were the southpaw jab with that right hand he also set a very fast pace it was a good start uh, the Mexican commentator also gave that round to Selby the second round uh, aside from Selby falling short two or three times and getting hit, he had a near-perfect round, to be honest. He landed some bombs on Martinez's chin, and he was schooling Martinez at that point. 2-0 to Selby there after two. Going into the third, there was a head clash that actually caused the cut on Selby's eye. It was his left eye. The referee harshly took a point off the Mexican fighter. I felt that was quite, um, well, that was quite surprising once again. I mean, referee taking a point off. 
from an accidental, it would seem, head clash. So I felt that was a bit harsh, but it was what it was. Um, as the round ended, the blood had really trickled down Selby's face. And like I say, um, Martinez did have some success. It was probably his best round in that third, but it was definitely... Um, you know, a Selby round, obviously, with, with the point deduction as well, a 10-8 round. Somehow, the Mexican commentator scored that third round a 10-10, even with the point deduction. I can't understand how that's mathematically possible. Going into the fourth round, it was a bit of a closer round. Selby still won it, but the Mexicans seemed to be warming into it. Once again, um, that dodgy 10-10 round that the Mexican commentary team had it, other than that, Selby had won every round, so there was a drawn round, and he won every round going into this fifth and final round, so he didn't lose a round, and then in that fifth round, he was winning the round once again, and he got caught with a left hook to the body, and he took a knee, and he stayed down for the count, I mean, he could not breathe, it was just shocking how the Mexican turned it around with just one punch, I was absolutely gutted, like I say, we will now not see that that uh, that Charlie Edwards-Andrew Selby fight, and I really believe that this is a dream scenario pretty much for any flyweight in Britain that didn't want to fight Andrew Selby. I'm not saying Charlie Edwards doesn't want to fight him, but if I was Eddie Hearn, I'd think, do you know what? There's big fights that we can make in-house. You know, if Charlie moves up, he can take on Cal Yafai. There's unifications that can be made. Why fight Andrew Selby unless you absolutely have to? But then again, I could be wrong. I just don't think Andrew Selby's commercially the best fighter. And for that reason, I don't think it's a massive money fight, despite the hardcore fans um, like myself and I, as we'd love to see that fight, I'm sure many people listening to me now would love to see that fight, but it seems like now there's an excuse to not make that fight happen, and, you know, he's in a tough, tough position now, Andrew Selby, um, yeah, gutted for him, absolutely gutted for him, he couldn't breathe, I spoke to him just briefly a couple of hours after the fight, um, yeah, moving out now from Mexico to Poland, uh, one fight happened at the Hala Sportowa over here, Christoph um, Wladzik, um, or Vladarczyk, I think it said, 57 wins now, he's got four losses and one draw, unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Alexandru Dur, who's now 18 and 3, uh, that was expected, moving over now to Russia at the Sport Palace, we got to see Fedor Chudinov pick up win number 19. He does have those two losses. Uh, his opponent was Hattie Nualang, 11-3 now. Actually retired on his store after five rounds with an injury. Uh, moving out now to the Leicester Arena in, in in Leicester, United Kingdom. Quite a shocking few fights on this bill. Let's start with Willie Hutchinson. He moved to 7-0. and um, he he knocked out in the fourth and final round Daniel Borisov, who's now seven and twenty-five with two draws. Borisov was down twice in the third round and once in the fourth. He also had a point deducted for holding, so a good win there for friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson. Tommy Fury, the brother of Tyson, he actually got a knockout win in the first round against Journeyman Calamide, who's got a record of zero and twenty-seven now with two draws. But I doesn't know how to survive, and to get a knockout there against a guy with that experience, you know, the experience experience difference from Tommy Fury having his second fight and Calamide having his 27th I believe it was no sorry 29th it was um there's a there's a real depth there in experience and for him to get it in the first round with his lack of experience that's quite a statement there for me um Ide was actually down twice from body shots in that first Leon Woodstock picked up a win. Uh, he couldn't get his man out of there, Sergio Gonzalez, who's now 10 and 14 with five draws. He was down late in the eighth and final round, but it, it ended up going to 
points. So uh, Leon Woodstock, 12-1, and one, that one lost to Archie Sharp for end of the show. CJ Challenger took on Carl Haywood, a man that had to quit his day job in in order to, you know, try and prepare best he could for CJ Challenger. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't quite good enough. It was for the vacant Midlands area uh, super welterweight title. Challenger was actually cut above his left eye in the very first round, but he managed to win on points over 10. Um, also, Nathan Gorman moved to 16-0, and 0, a points win over 10 against Kevin Johnson. I can't say I've watched it. I was at the Charlie Edwards card. Uh, Kevin, the Kingpin Johnson, picks up another loss now, 34-13 and 13 with one draw. Gorman, it was his chance to get that knockout and impress and say, hey, I did that to Kevin Kingpin Johnson. Daniel Dubois, you couldn't do it. You went to points, uh, just like Daniel Dubois pretty much did when he knocked out Kajanu, but Nathan Gorman had to go the distance with him, but it wasn't to be for Nathan Gorman, but, you know, they are valuable rounds, and it's a big step up for him. Um, also on the bill, Sam Maxwell. This is a shocker. I was saying on last week's show, I'd like to see him stepped up. You know, he had a good amateur career. He took on the likes of Lomachenko, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, he got in there with Sabri Sidiri who, by the way, was a last-minute replacement. So let's just give Sam Maxwell a little bit of credit here. He was undefeated. So not very often do we see a last-minute replacement jump into a fight like that, and he's undefeated. But anyway, Maxwell had an absolutely uh, nightmare start. He was down in the first round and the second round. It was for the vacant WBO European super lightweight title. And Sidiri was actually taking, uh, well, taking him for a mug, really. He was, you know, he was showboating and pretending he was hurt and stuff like that but anyway he did get caught with a massive shot in the dying seconds I think it was about 14 or 15 seconds to go in the final round the 10th round and then he got put down and I think he got quite a long count but he did get back up to his feet and he was so wobbly that the referee had to wave it off but you know should that have gone the distance I think he would have he would have won on points it was a it was a bad 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 performance really from Sam Maxwell but he had to show heart and he had to show grit and he did get through it thankfully for him he remains undefeated somehow 11 and 0 he's answered some serious questions there him and O'Hara Davies, that would be a fight I'd sign up for. Uh, Sam Bowen moved to 15-0. and 0. He took on Jordan McCory. Once again, I've got to say, I didn't get enough time to watch this fight. Jordan McCory, uh, he's now 17-5 and 5 with one draw. I thought that Bowen would probably beat him on points or stop him. He managed to stop him in nine rounds, but he did get hit a lot from what I've heard. It was another defense of Bowen's British super featherweight title. McCory also had two points deducted, so I'm guessing if it went to points, he would have lost a landslide. Moving out now, though, to the Copper Box Arena. Like I say, I was there for this one in London, United Kingdom. I'm going to start here with... Shannon Courtney, um, or Courtney, it could be said, I'm not quite sure. It was her debut. She took on a girl called Christina Buswick, who a lot of people were, you know, mocking and stuff like that on social media. Um, she was 0-0 zero and zero with one draw going in, and I think her draw came to a girl who was undefeated, so you can't really read into it. Was she good? Was she bad? She was certainly tough. Shannon Courtney pretty much won every round. She um, really tried to get on the gas and try and get the stoppage, but she was unable to do that, but once again, she banks the rounds. It was a four-rounder, four two-minute rounds. Um, Courtney looked good, and as I was watching her, I thought, Do you know what? There's something David Hay about her. And I'm not just talking about the hair. And um, I didn't want to be the first one to tweet it. But I've seen a few people have said that to her now. So I had to just comment underneath and say, do you know what? I was thinking the same thing. But I didn't want to actually come out and tweet that. Because I felt like people would probably start laughing. But um, yeah, 
very much um you know uh, another exciting addition to the female side of the sport is what we need so i welcome that completely uh sean mcgoldrick picked up win number eight a points win over six rounds against sean cairns who's now three and two jason quigley moved to 16 and oh a knockout in the second round against matthias eckland who's now 10 and two with two draws lewis ritson moved to 18 and one a very very close fight though it didn't reflect it in the scorecards appalling scorecards they had him very very wide um, it was for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. Lewis Ritson now, like I say, 18-1. and one. It was his first fight back since losing to Batera. Um, it wasn't so impressive, to be honest. It's almost as if he's found his level. He was rushed into that Patera fight, um, the aftertimers say. And I think it's it's hard to kind of gauge what he should have done. I mean, he flew through domestic scene, and he needed to be pushed on. So what do you do? Do you have a fight between, you know legit european level and british level somewhere in between before you move on to even bigger things well to be honest he went for the the proper belt at european level i don't want to get too confusing here and he took on patera a man who many people would say is probably not legit legit the best kind of fighter in europe at lightweight but he struggled against patera so who do you give him to next? He's moved up in weight. Not quite sure it's the right thing to do, but he took on a tough, tough Argentinian here, and it went the distance, and he won, like I say, on points. Uh, getting on to the prediction fights now. Lawrence Ocoli managed to TKO Wadi Camacho in four rounds. Uh, Wadi Camacho now 21-8. and eight. Lawrence Ocoli 12-0. and 0. Uh, It was for the British Cruiserweight title. That was Akoli's belt, and Camacho brought the Commonwealth. It's now uh, a belt that belongs to Akoli. Camacho was down in that fourth round just to quickly whiz through it. I felt like Camacho in the first couple of rounds was was too patient. You know, he was fainting with his shots. He wasn't really actually trying to connect with a lot of them. He was letting rounds slip away, it would seem. And Akoli was actually rocked to his boots with a left hand from Camacho in the third round. I'm not quite sure that the commentary team picked up on it too much. Again, I saw it live and I haven't really heard people talking about it. He seriously did get rocked. I saw it with my own eyes. Um, Camacho, again, hesitated to jump on him. When he caught him with that shot and it rocked him to his boots, he acted surprised. And then, of course, Akoli held him and Akoli started covering up and stuff like you should do. And then uh, he got warned for rabbit punching, I believe, in that third round. But yeah, um, in the fourth round, like I say, Camacho got punched down kind of thing. It was like a few clean shots, and then he just went down. He stayed down to the count of nine, which sometimes is an indicator that you really needed each second. I mean, sometimes if you pop back up quick, it's a sign of bravado, um, but sometimes it can bite you in the backside if your head isn't clear. But when you stay down till nine, you're giving off bad signals. And he got back up, and literally the first punch he got hit with, I think it was a, the, the straight right hand, it was, it was certainly the first punched at Akoli through with authority and it staggered Camacho back badly and the referee jumped in it was a fair stoppage he was about to get savagely knocked out it would appear and he's also better Chamberlain's win over Camacho obviously Chamberlain when he took on Wadi Camacho at York Hall it's one of the best fights I've ever seen such a complete disappointment that it wasn't televised on Sky Sports but I think there's some footage of it somewhere on YouTube it was a fantastic fight but like I say um, you know it wasn't it wasn't 
a blowout like this was. So Akoli did well here to better that win from Chamberlain over Camacho. Moving up the card once again, uh, Josh Buatzi, 9-0, now 10-0. A win here against Liam Conroy, who's now 16-4 with one draw. It was for the vacant British light heavyweight title, the belt that had been vacated by Callum Johnson. Conroy was down twice in that third and final round. Um, he looked the goods, to be completely honest. Uh, Josh Buatzi. I said it on last week's show that if Buatzi gets the knockout, then perhaps he is the real deal. Um, you know, the second round was where Buatzi started hitting Conroy very often. Buatzi showed his class. Um, the first opponent, really, that we actually know is quite a solid domestic level fighter. Um, you know, the only kind of opponent he took on who'd been proven, if you like. Again, you can't really read into that Avalanche win because, you know, he beat Avalanche in a round and you just didn't know if he'd perhaps been caught cold. We don't really know how good Avalanche is and the the win over Quinlan, I think he hit him when the referee called break or something like that. So, I had a few question marks and I think that, you know, he answered those. Like I say, in that third round, um, two knockdowns. The first one came by a combination that Conroy dipped low from and he, again, kind of got punched down. Um, and when he got back up, like I say, the pair exchanged and Buatzi caught Conroy with a massive straight right. Conroy fell face down. He did get back up and credit to him for that, but the referee had seen enough at that point. Uh, a good win there for Buatzi. 10-0, like I say, the new British light heavyweight champion. Some big fights domestically can be made there. And topping the bill, Charlie Edwards now 15-1. A win here against Angel Moreno who's now 19 and 3 with two draws it was for the WBC world flyweight title Moreno uh, was actually given a count in round 8 I'm going to try to whiz through this it was a real dominating performance by Edwards by the way um throughout the whole fight but even the first round we saw some lovely uppercuts from Edwards some nice movements some great punch evasiveness Marino had that hands down kind of style um, I wasn't too sure it was going to work well for him he did get hit a lot um, he did manage to hold the centre of the ring throughout most of the fight in the second round the, the right uppercut from Edwards was being brought into play very very often he also demonstrated some lovely jabs it was a good display of boxing the third round you know, for a small man, that Spaniard was strong as an ox. But in that third, it was all Edwards. He was untouchable. He was hitting and not being hit. He also nailed Marino with a lovely straight right. Um, it was like a pot shot kind of thing. In the fourth round, that was when Edwards started to showboat. He made his man miss, and he looked at the miss. It was like Billy Joe Saunders style, where he glazed up into the crowd uh, at the very top tier. And, um, yeah, you know, he even did some of the... The hands down, chin out, Prince Nassim tactics, and uh, he even did a bit of Ali shuffling, I think. So, a clear Edwards round there, not for the showboating, obviously, for the better boxing. But when the pair were wrestling, Edwards was getting the better of that at times. Whereas Marino, for his little size, was quite a strong guy. But when Edwards wanted to win the war of wrestles, he did manage to do so. Uh, the fifth round. You know, it was too much class from Edwards. He was he was enjoying it in there. It looked quite easy. He was a level above his man. Uh, he was switching from orthodox to southpaw. There was not much else really to say about his performance. He pretty much did everything. And like I said, the Spaniard didn't look like he was ready to go anywhere. He was a real tough guy. Perhaps an ounce of frustration was kicking him for Marino. I think in the seventh round, whenever he loaded up, 
Charlie was was long gone and he made him hit fresh air and he was starting to load up quite a lot Marino in the eighth round that was where there was a knockdown it was definitely a bit of a slip in my opinion but it didn't really make much difference it was a it was a right jab from the southpaw stance like I say Charlie Edwards was switching stance he was changing direction he was changing stances uh, pretty much all night long the ninth round was a real big round actually for Edwards he had a lot of success he was pinning Marino on the ropes but again he just wasn't ready to go anywhere in the tenth round we saw more showboating from Edwards lovely lovely skills though it was a beautiful demonstration of some fantastic boxing in the 11th round it was pretty much more of the same and in the 12th round he finished very strong also and I had it um, I think the same as the judges 120 107 because you had to count that knockdown that happened in the 8th so yeah 120 107 a complete shutout pure pure domination um, once again, just one nice word on Marino. He had a, a serious big heart, and the fact that he didn't really get overly frustrated all fight, despite running out of ideas quite early on. You know, he was he was as game as they come. So credit to him, very very tough guy. Uh, that's it though for the copper box. Moving out now to the hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. This is coming down to the final couple of bills here. This one was um, a top rank show, by the way. Um, what did we have over here? Kubrat Pulev moved to 27-1, and one, a KO in the seventh round against Bogdan Dino. He didn't manage to do it quicker than Big Baby Miller, but it was what it was. He was actually cut himself in round four, and he had a point deducted for hitting his opponent while he was down in that seventh round at one point. But Dino was actually down three times in the seventh round, and like I say, the KO came in that round there. 27-1 and one now, Pulev, and Dino is 18-2. and two. And the main event... Jesse Magdaleno, 26-1 and one now. It was his first fight back against um, Rico Ramos here. Of course, like I say, the first fight back from the loss to Isaac Dogbay. Rico Ramos is now 30-6. and six. It was for the vacant WBC United States featherweight title. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Magdaleno. I should also mention on that bill, the younger brother of Kubrat Pulev, Tavel Pulev, he picked up a win on points over six rounds unanimously against Mitch Williams. Pulev actually had a point deducted, so both the Pulevs had points deducted. Uh, this one, though, was for hitting on the break, but it didn't really matter in the six rounds. Like I say, unanimously there, Tavel Pulev 13-0, and Mitch Williams 16-8 and with three draws. And the final bill to mention happened at the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland, USA. Um... It was a bad night for the Peterson brothers, that's all I'll say. Anthony Peterson got a split draw against Argenis Mendez, a fight where I think Mendez probably did enough to nick it. A split draw over 10 rounds. Uh, Peterson now 37-1 with one draw. Argenis Mendez, that's his second draw, 25-5 and with two draws. Um, and the main event, like I say, Lamont Peterson, I adds 35-5 and with one draw. That is how his record will stay. Uh, he, he retired after the fight. He was knocked out in the 10th round, a TKO in favour of Sergei Lipinets, who's now 15-1. and one. Um, It was a lovely little finish, actually, by Lipinets. He disguised that big right hand. He kind of popped a half-hearted jab out, and he, he dipped to his right and came back up with the right hand over the top. He managed to stagger Peterson very badly, and, um, yeah, Peterson took the punch really bad, and, he, you know, he staggered into the ropes, and then Lipinets jumped on him, and Peterson was pretty defenceless. Like I say, he got dropped, and the towel came in also, and you know, after the fight, like I say, he retired. I think it's the right time. I think really he probably shouldn't have moved up from 140. I think 
you know, his his best days were left at 140. He had that one fight at, I think it was 143 pounds uh, when he took on Danny Garcia. And he arguably beat Garcia, by the way, but he was still a world champion at 140. They just didn't put their belts on the line. It was one of the weirdest things ever. They both had titles. It could have been a unification. It should have been a unification. And... Um, you know, after that, he moved up, like I say, properly to welterweight. He was never really suited for the weight. He did manage to beat Felix Diaz and take his O. He also beat David Avanesi and a man that we're going to be talking about later on in the show. But yeah, you know, he lost to, to Spence. He was way too small for Spence. And Lipanets also managed to beat him here. But he went out on his shield, Lamont Peterson. He's got a big heart. He always showed that. And like I say, it was certainly the right time. I didn't want to see him stick around for too long and perhaps get hurt. Um, just going through the predictions from last week let's mention them here um yeah we all gained three points we all picked charlie edwards on points we all picked buatsi by knockout we all picked akoli by knockout none of us got the peterson and lipanets fight right i went with peterson on points so did you as and the listeners went with lipanets on points but like i say None of us predicted correctly that Lipanets would get the stoppage. But that's about it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, we've tried to whisper for it. We truly have. The last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the super featherweight world contender himself. It is, of course, Mr. Jamel Herring. Jamel, welcome back on the show, my man. Hey, man, it's always great talking with you, brother. Honestly, man, it's, it's exactly the same for me. It's great speaking to you always, Jamel. We last spoke in December. Uh, it was right before your last fight with Adilson Dos Santos. The tough Brazilian did take you 10 rounds despite you dropping him in the first and second. Please talk us through that one. Oh, man, yeah, man. He, he's a tough guy. I thought, you know, I thought in the second round knockdown, you know, that I, I would get him out there. But, you know, I took my time. Didn't want to rush it. He also had a you know a good fight with um Mick Collin, who who I'm actually you know friends with as well. So um you know the guy's been around. Also he's 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 contending for a world title. I guess I, I was I believe Jesse Magdaleno at 122 at the time. But so yeah, I know he was gonna be a um you know a durable guy. But I thought I was gonna get him out of there. But I just took the rounds just to you know tune the most of things and took the experience and just moved on after the fight. Absolutely, and moved on you did. On to the next one. Uh, you'll be taking on Masayuki Ito for his WBO Super Featherweight World title. The fight is set to take place in Florida on May 25th. Just before we talk about the actual fight itself, May 25th, of course, isn't just the date of the fight. That date also has a seriously deep meaning to you. For those that don't know, Jamel, please explain. Oh, uh, May 25th would have been my daughter's... Um... 10th birthday. Um, those who follow my story know that my daughter, um, Ariana, had passed away from SIDS at two months old. So May 25th is significant to me every year. And, you know, I, I look at it. Um, people people um, ask me what, what the date, with that fight, with the fight distract me landing on a date. And I, um, I said no because I feel like, you know, I, I've coped with it very well over the years. And um, I look at it as a sign of motivation. Like, I believe everything happens for a reason. It's not a it's not a coincidence. Like I don't believe top rank just picked this date, you know, just because of that. For for um, for the most reason, they actually chose a date because it lands on Memorial Day weekend here in the states. But um, it's just it's just funny how like you know things play out, and I'm just taking it as you know as, as a sign of motivation, and you know it's just, it's just a sign also that this is my time, and I just want to take a full advantage of it. And 
obviously, you know, with with that date being such a deep kind of date for you, uh, you mentioned there, you know, people are asking, will it affect you? It it must kind of put a little bit of, of, of pressure on you, a little bit of added pressure, but is it healthy pressure? Is that what you'd say it is? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I, think, I, I think if anything, I'll, I'll put more pressure on myself because, like you said, this fight isn't just for any other, any other fight. You know, it's, it's a world title at the end of the day. You know, we're fighting for, competing for a world title. Um, you've known me, you've known me personally that you've seen the, the road I had to come just to get where I'm at. You know, it, it has been an easy road. So I feel like, you know, I had to take full advantage of the opportunity. So if anything, if, if it's going to be, if we're going to mention pressure, I'll say that I'll be the one probably pressuring myself throughout this camp to make sure that, um, I go out there and train the best that I possibly can and perform, you know, um, really well when it comes to, when it comes to fight night. And tell me about Masayuki Aito, Jamel. He's coming off two good wins over Christopher Diaz and Evgeny Chuprakov. He's a good fighter. Yeah, yeah. I don't take nothing from. I take nothing from, from. You know, I don't take anything from anybody who's um you know won a world championship ever in boxing. Um, I give I give every champion the full respect. Um, but I do believe that I have a great chance of um you know taking the belt from Ito, just mainly because. Um, Ito is basically still learning on the job. You know, he hasn't had an amateur career. Um, he went strictly, he went straight to the pros. And, um, you know, even that is a, you know, sign of respect because not too many people um, in today's boxing world can just jump up, put a pair of, pair, uh, a pair of boxing gloves on, you know, go straight, go straight into the pros and actually become a world champion. So you have to acknowledge that and give him credit for that. But also get to look at it as you know he's basically learning on the job still. So I've just basically taken full advantage of my experience and put it to great use. And the thing that I did notice is is that um, Chuprakov and and uh, and Diaz are both five foot five, five foot six. Of course, you're five ten and you're a southpaw, so you've got the size advantage in this one pretty clearly. He's not used to fighting guys your height. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and I'm glad you pointed it out because I actually been looking at that myself. I mean, I take nothing from Edo, but I feel like you know you see Christopher Diaz is about to fight my good friend Shakur Stevenson soon on April 20th on the Bud Crawford American fight, which I'll be there. I'll be there in attendance. But um, Christopher Diaz was to me. I always thought he was more of a, a featherweight. Um, his last opponent also, like you should point out, was half his size. You know? You know, he was, he was a number one contender, so you can't take nothing from Ito. He did what he had to do as a champion. But I feel that, you know, he just didn't have the the, um, the skill set to, uh, to bother Ito. And like you said, um, he was just a smaller. He was just half the size. But going into this fight, you know, I'm actually going to be, you know, the bigger man. And also, like you pointed out, on Southpaw. I don't know how well he's done with Southpaws in the past, if he's even fought any Southpaws. But um, like I said, I have to take all these aspects and, and use them to my advantage when it comes to the fight. Yeah, I think he actually did fight a Southpaw about four fights ago, a guy called Lorenzo Villanueva. He um he beat him okay. I think he about I think it was a ten round or eight round or something like that. He he beat him quite handily, but obviously he wasn't he wasn't, you know, a Southpaw like yourself. He probably didn't have the advantage. I haven't looked into him too much, um in terms of the height advantage. As you mentioned there, your gym mate Terence Crawford, he's got his own test. You're gonna be there in attendance April twentieth. At first when this fight got, got, got made, I've got to be honest, I thought it was a bit of a mismatch. I thought that Terence was just gonna 
you know, obliterate him really, and that that could be the way it pans out. But I've, I'm starting to think as the fight gets closer that Amir Khan's got a real chance here. Of course, the quick hands, uh, you know, can be a problem for anyone. Uh, how do you see that fight playing out, Jamel? Oh yeah, I mean, of course. Um, I, I always had a, I always had a great deal of respect for Amir Khan. Um, a lot of people will tend to forget when I came to the last time I came to the UK back in the 2012 Olympic Games, Amir Khan had opened his gym up to the team. So I, and I always knew Amir um, when he came to the States, um, fighting on the PBC card at the time and things like that nature. So, you know, I always had a great deal of respect for Amir Khan. And um, like you pointed out, um, Amir Khan is not an easy task for anybody, even Terrence. If you look, if you really look at break down Amir Khan's um, resume, who has basically, you know, got the best of him in a full, you know, full 12-round decision bout? You know, if anything, people, people um, they try to, you know, knock him off or – you know his lock, his knockout losses or whatever. But even in, even in those fights, like you know the Canelo fight, he was competitive in that in that fight until he got knocked out. The Danny Garcia fight, he was winning that fight um, handily. He was winning that fight, and then he just got caught. So you can't take anything from um, you know American. I mean, look what he did to um, guys like Marcus Maidana and um, other champions as well. So I, I think it's it's a, it's a better fight than what people most people are giving it. Um, of course, I'm, of course, I'm rooting for my. Um, my stableman table um Terrence Crawford, but at the same time, I don't think it's gonna be a walkover in the park. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's competitive. It will be exciting. I mean all of Amir Khan's fights are exciting. Right. Um the biggest fight that can be made at the minute in your division has to be Javante Davis and Tevin Farmer. A fight that you know, we, we've been talking about for quite a while. It seems like they're bringing offers to the table now. If it does happen, who do you see emerging victorious there, Jamil? Um, it's it's hard. It's hard to point out. Of course, most people will say um, Javante Davis. Of course, I believe um, Javante Davis. If I'm being, you know, fully honest um, with the division, he's probably the, um, the number one top dog in the division right now. Um, but um, it, as you see, as you see, you know, Tevin Farmer has gotten better over over the past you know couple of years or so, and, and he he's growing and learning with, with each fight. You know. So you gotta take you gotta take everything you gotta take everything into into aspect with with that fight, but of course a lot of people are gonna lean with um lean towards like I said towards um, Javante Davis, but I believe it's a better fight than one most people will give it. Yeah, for sure, I agree. Also, and uh, yeah, I've tried to you know go through those questions pretty quickly. I've pretty much run out. Have you got any closing words at all, or anything else that you want to announce or say at all before we let you go? Um, I just want to let people also know that um like a lot of people don't know. This year is a big year for me. Um, hopefully, we get we get through um, Edo as planned. But um, my my promoter also has big plans for me to unify with um, the winner Al, Al Vargas and Brochel. I actually wanted that fight as well because um, I felt that a lot of people just um, took Brochel as like the basically other than Javante Davis, you know, the the other boogeyman in the division. So. Um, hopefully that opportunity comes, and um, if it does, I'm just letting everybody know that I'm I'm jumping right at it firsthand. But those are my plans for this year. My plan first is the absolute um, Edo first, and then hopefully before the year is over, I'll get to see the winner out of Vargas and Berchel. And that truly would be amazing, Jamel. I, I really want to thank you for your time, and I truly mean it when I say that I would absolutely love to see you become world champion on May 25th. I wish you all the very luck in the world in achieving that, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, man. We'll talk soon. You know, we, you know we'll always talk, brother, So, but I appreciate you, man. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I asked, talk to me. What you got? 
So Tyson Fury has announced he will face Tom Squirt on June the 15th at the Thomas Mack Center in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, Tom Schwartz, a man who a lot of people were saying they've never heard of him. I'm not quite sure um, that's 100% true. I mean, I'd heard of him. Perhaps it's because we're always whizzing through box rec pretty much uh, all day long. Um, but yeah, Tom Schwartz is a guy, for those that don't know, he's 24-0. and 0, He's got 16 knockouts. He's a 24-year-old guy, so he's a young heavyweight. Um, I think he had quite a hard fight with Senad Gashi, but Gashi actually got disqualified. Obviously, Gashi went on to take on um, Carlos Takam, and he's also fighting Derek Chisora uh, next month on that April 20th show. But... Um, yeah, I mean, he's never fought someone of the caliber of Tyson Fury. Um, it's it's pretty much an easy fight, really. I don't think he had a you know a, a, a great amateur career. If anything, there's nothing about him having an amateur career that I can see. So um, yeah, it's an easy first touch. The good thing is, I think he's ranked number two with a WBO, so that's perhaps what it was. So when um, Frank Warren said he will be taking on a guy that's in the top five. You know, he delivered on that promise, and it's Tom Schwartz. Like I say, it's it's not a massive fight. Um, Deontay Wilder versus Dominic Brazil, another fight that's been finalized. You know, a lot of people don't really want to see those fights. They want to see the big three fighting each other. And out of the big three, I think it's it's, it's right in saying that this is probably the worst one. I mean, I, I'm much, much uh, more looking forward to Wilder, Brazil, and Joshua, Big Baby Miller, to be honest, than this one. But, you know, it is what it is. I love Tyson Fury, and um, we're going to tune in because we love Tyson Fury, and that's about it. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing more than, than an easy touch, really, and you can't really dress it up. And finally, Billy Joe Saunders will face Shifa Isufi for the WBO interim super middleweight title on May the 18th at Le Mex Stadium, the home of Stevenish Football Club. Yeah, um, you know, this is a fight that we knew was going to happen. Um, we just wasn't sure if there was going to be a belt on the line. It ends up being the interim title. I think they're probably hoping that Gilberto Ramirez does have that one fight at 175 and he likes the weight and then he relinquishes the belt. And then because Billy Joe Saunders is, uh, well, if he wins, he'll be the interim champion. He'll probably get elevated without having to fight. So that's probably their plan of, of how he'll become a two-weight world champion, Billy Joe Saunders. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's announced Ben Davison as his full-time trainer now. Ben Davison, I think, trains three fighters. Isaac Lowe, Tyson Fury, and Billy Joe Saunders. All three of those guys are completely unbeaten. So he's got a real uh, talent pool on his hands there. Um, yeah, I mean, Billy Joe Saunders... I'm not a big fan of all the trainer switches and stuff like that, but I just I don't know why he keeps switching trainers when he hasn't really had a bad performance. If anything, his one bad performance came when Ben Davidson was in his corner. So it's a, it's a weird one, but you know the best of luck to him. I've reached out to him to try and get him on the show, as I've done many many times. I'm not quite sure. Um, that I should hold my breath on that. But yeah, it'd be great to get him on the podcast at one point, but it doesn't look very likely. All the very best to him, though. A great, great fighter. And that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, let's move over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here at the Matami Event Centre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Over here, we get to see friend of the show, Demarcus Corley, 51-32 and 32 with one draw. Former world champion, former opponent of Floyd Mayweather. He takes on the unbeaten Custio Clayton, who's... 
fifteen and oh, a guy that obviously you know is 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 on the up. He's he's actually thirty one years of age, but yeah, Corley's being brought in to try and look like a good name on his record, pretty much, and that's about it. Um, I'm hoping Corley can get the win, like I say, a friend of the show. But yeah, this guy, um, Castillo Clayton, is a former Olympian. He was in the 2012 Olympics. He actually lost to Fred Evans in the quarterfinals, so a decent fighter there. Um, you'd expect him to win. Uh, also on the bill, Alexander Teslenko, 15-0. and He takes on Fabio Maldonado. That was actually the guy that was supposed to fight Nathan Gorman last weekend. Um, I'm not quite sure why the fight fell through and then Kevin Kingpin Johnson stepped in, but he fighting this weekend perhaps it was for more money he takes on Alexander Teslenko a heavyweight there that's making a bit of noise I think he's um I think he's from Ukraine that's probably a guess there but I'm probably right um at the Ulster Hall in Belfast Northern Ireland United Kingdom this one's an MTK uh, an MTK show here over here we get to see Comrade come in 16 and 2 with one draw he fights Luke Keeler in a rematch 15 and 2 with one draw of course Luke Keeler won the first one it's for the WBO European middleweight title a 10 round contest there I'd expect Keeler to win once again to be honest I think Keeler boxed fantastically in their first fight and it wasn't really close enough to warrant a rematch but you know it is it is what it is um that's about it for that one moving out now to the Seagulls rug league club in tweed heeds in new south wales what venue this one is uh, we spoke about his brother earlier andrew this is now jason maloney 17 and 1 he takes on chris paulino 19 and 3 that's a 10 rounder for maloney's wba oceana bantamweight title uh, moving out now to the bilbao arena in spain i as we're going to go to the predictions on this carmen leharaga the man that beat Bradley Ski, he beat Frankie Gavin, he takes on friend of the show, David Avanesian. This one is for Leharaga's EBU European welterweight title. Leharaga 27-0, David Avanesian 23-3 with one draw. Um, how do you see this fight going? Of course, we want Avanesian to win. Um, obviously, we want David Avanesian to win, so we can have that see that Josh Kelly fight. But obviously, we see Leharaga, I think he's a very strong fighter. So if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Leharaga to win by a knockout. Leharaga by knockout. Okay, you're not on your own there. The listeners agree with you, Ayaz. I am going to go, though, with Avanesian to win on points. I just think that, you know, Bradley Skeet just couldn't take the body shots from Leharaga. I think he also let the occasion get to him. Uh, Frankie Gavin gave Leharaga a decent fight till he got stopped, but again, he was way too small for him. And I think that um, Avanesian's probably got the better experience over... over um, well, over Leharaga for sure, and and over um, Bradley Ski and Frankie Gavin, because I think you know Avanesian's fought all over the place. He's been out to America. He fought Shane Mosley. He fought Lamont Peterson, who we talked about earlier. And I just think that those kind of fights there do a lot, really, for your experience. I don't think he's going to get overwhelmed. He's from the deep forests in Russia. He's been over here and fought in the UK before, of course. He's been, uh, I think, some some other country somewhere. So he's he's quite well travelled. He spars hard with a lot of guys and I just think that he's hardened enough to not let the occasion get to him to not be overwhelmed and I think he's a better boxer than Leharaga and I just don't see Leharaga walking through him though I've got to say when um uh David Avanesian lost by knockout to Igis Kavalowskis that kind of you know I don't want to say exposed Avanesian but that made me think well 
You know, he, he really can be walked through. I'm just not quite sure that Leharaga's got the kind of background that Kavalowski's has got. In fact, I know he doesn't. So I don't think he'll be able to do a job like Kavalowski's did. And um, I, I, I can see it going the distance. I'm just hoping that they don't do a bad night of officiating i hope that the the judges are fair and i hope that david avanessian emerges victorious but that's about it for that one moving out now to the Novotel in southampton i as you could be attending this one um yeah you should turn you should turn up for that one uh fighting on this bill joe pigford i've got to mention him 14 and 0 um i think he's only had one fight or two fights maximum since beating aaron morgan a, a fighter that fights in the same gym as bradley skeet um, it's so interlinked now. I'm talking about guys that train with guys that we just mentioned, that fought guys that we mentioned in part one, stuff like that. But anyway, Joe Pickford's a good fighter. I really liked watching him uh, in the fight against Aaron Morgan. It was a fantastic fight. And since then, I don't even think he's fought on TV. If my memory serves me right, I think, I'm pretty sure that that, that win over Aaron Morgan was on the undercard of Liam Walsh and, and Javante Davis. So to only have one or two fights since then is is terrible. I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. I don't know why he's been out the ring so long. Um, that's it for that one. Moving out now to the Echo Arena. This is the biggest bill to mention. It's happening in Liverpool. It's going to be on Sky, of course. Um, over here, Paul Butler, 27-2. and two. No opponent just yet. That's a sixth-rounder there. Natasha Jonas returns to action, 6-1. and one. Uh, That's six two-minute rounds. No opponent just yet. David Price, 23-6, and six, Iaz. Ten-round contest against the undefeated Cash Alley, 15-0. and oh. um, Again, with Price, the Iaz, you just never know what you're going to get. What's your prediction for that? One. Obviously, it's in his home hometown of Liverpool, and he's fighting Cash Alley. So if I'm going to go win the win, I'm going to go with David Price doing my knockout. So I think the fans will be behind him, and I think it's just going to motivate him even more. So I think he's going to get. I think he's going to get the win. We certainly hope so. We don't we don't dislike David Price. We don't dislike Big David Price on this show. It's a ten round contest. I don't see it going the distance at all. I know Cash Alley's very very confident, and I just think that David Price. I know we. You know, we can't put him on a pedestal and say he's fantastic because he's been found out and he, he really can go down as one of the biggest underachievers right now um, in, in in modern times. You know, he was, he was again, like Lewis Ritson, absolutely smashing through British level and then when he stepped up, he got found out. You know, losing back-to-back to Tony Thompson by stoppage was, was really bad and, you know, it played a massive part in the fights and everything since then. Um, he just doesn't quite have it, David Price. But um, I think he probably does have a little bit too much for Cash Ali or Cash Ali and uh, I think David Price with his experience probably does get the stoppage uh, also on the bill a great grudge match this has been has just watching the back and forth on Twitter and Instagram has been very very entertaining it's a shame it's all going to come to an end and they're going to get it on it's been so great uh, Anthony Fowler 9-0 and takes on Scott Fitzgerald 12-0 and a lot of bad blood in this one has. I'm actually going to go with a Fowler stoppage here um Oh, by the way, the listeners went with Price by knockout also, so we're all in agreement there. Um, yeah, but yeah, Fowler, I'm going to go with him to win by knockout against Fitzgerald. The listeners agree. How do you see it, Ayers? Do you give Fitzgerald a chance? Um, they're obviously two. Uh, they're all. They're both on the same GB squad. The Scott Fitzgerald and Anthony Fowler. So if I'm going, if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Anthony Fowler to win by points. Anthony Fowler on points. Okay, that's that's very interesting because Anthony Fowler's I think won all but one fight by knockout, and Scott Fitzgerald has won most of his fights by knockout. But the one guy that took Fowler the distance also took 
Fitzgerald the distance, you know, I think his name's Laszlo Faketes or something like that. Um, I could be I could be completely messing that up, but the same guy took them both the distance. I'd love to know what I'd, I'd love to get him on the show. Wouldn't it be great? I think he's Hungarian. It'd be great to get him on the show and see who he thinks is going to win. Um, but yeah, uh, I think he actually got dropped by Fitzgerald. I could be wrong in that one, but anyway, leaving that there. The same man definitely went the distance with a pair of them. Also on the bill, Joe Hughes, uh, seventeen and three with one draw. He puts his EBU European Super Lightweight title on the line against Robbie Davies Jr., friend of the show 17 and 1 he also puts his British super lightweight title on the line a 12 rounder like I say uh, Joe Hughes and Robbie Davies Jr. as how'd you see that one the listeners are going with uh, Robbie Davies on points yes um, um, I think Robbie Davies uh, if I'm going to go with him I'm going to go Robbie Davies to win on points we're all we're all in agreement, very much like last week when we all pretty much agreed on everything but one it looks like it's that same kind of feel here um, you know Joe Hughes Obviously, you know, he's he's physically disabled, but a tremendous boxer. Amazing that he's managed to achieve a European title, the proper title also. Robbie Davies Jr., very, very confident. Most of his wins, of course, have come by knockout. I just think Hughes has got that ring savvy, and he's a bit too smart, and he's a bit too tough to be stopped. So I think, yes, it does go points. Uh, also on the bill, topping the bill, Liam Smith, I has 26-2 and two with one draw coming off. Um, I think he's coming off that loss to, to Mungir. I don't think he's fought since, but it is his matchroom debut. He takes on Sam Eggington, a man that, of course, lost to that Hassan Wackingyo. And um, I think he had one win the other week just to kind of, you know, get back in the swing of winning because both men were topping a bill and both men were coming off losses. It was terrible on paper there. But, um, yeah, Sam Eggington, 24-5. and five. Liam Smith, like I say, 26-2 and two with one draw. How does it go for you? If I'm going to go with a win, uh, I'm going to go with win. I'm going to go with Liam Smith to win my points. Liam Smith on points. The listeners are going with Liam Smith by knockout, and I have to agree. I just think that if Mwakinyo can stop you in what was it two rounds, then you you know. Uh, there was no excuse for that. There was no excuse for that. He said he was tight at the weight at 147. He moved up to 154. This guy came in from Africa who no one had heard of, and you know. He only had about five days' notice, and he completely obliterated Eggington. I think Eggington's been in, you know, a few too many wars, and I think Liam Smith is going to just completely smash him, really. I hope I'm wrong, because, you know, Sam Eggington's a friend of the show. I'd like to see him win. It'd be unbelievable for him to win. We all we all know he's got a fantastic story. To go on to beat Malinaji like he did, you know, he's he's had a, a real cool, inspiring story, and his career has been brilliant. He's achieved a lot himself. Um, but yeah, I just think that Sam Eggington gets stopped. I think Liam Smith, with his, with his body shots, is going to cause a lot of problems. Moving out now to the final bill to mention at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. There's only really one... Well, there's two fights to mention, actually, over here. I'm going to talk about two fights. Um, Starting on the undercard here, we have uh, Ray Robinson, 24-3. and A fighter from Philly, so this is in his hometown. He's coming off a loss by knockout in the seventh round to Jordanis Ugas. He takes on a man that we mentioned earlier, Igis Kavalowskis, the man that knocked out David Avanesian. Uh, Also, by the way, uh, Ray Robinson, aside from that loss to Ugas by knockout, you know, he he went the distance with Sean Porter back in 2010, um, and he he lost the fight, another fight somewhere. But yeah, you know, it's it's, it's a decent enough fight, but you'd expect Kavalowskis, again, if if, if he's as special as 
I think he is, then we'd expect him to win the fight. And topping the bill, Alexander Gvozdik gets his first defense here of his WBC World Light Heavyweight title. Um, obviously, you know, he won it in devastating fashion when he stopped Adonis Stevenson in the 11th round. Obviously, Stevenson's life has took a very bad turn since then. Prayers with him still. Uh, but yeah, this is his first defense. It's going to you know, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any lasting effects on him that's going to kind of prevent him from, you know, giving the fight his all. Hopefully that's not the case. We see that time and time again in boxing. Uh, you know, Sergei Kovalev didn't let situations like that bother him. This guy is pretty much cut from the same cloth. Um, 16-0, like I say, he takes on Dudu Ngumbu. A guy with a record of 38-8. and eight. The problem is Ngumbu has got three losses to Igor McCorkin. He lost to Igor McCorkin all three times on points. And his one stoppage loss actually came to Najib Mohammadi back in 2012. Um, how do we see this one going, Ayaz? Um, if I'm going to go with him, I'm going to go with Govodskinich to win by knockout. Govodskinich? Okay, all right, I'll let you butcher that name and get away with it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm going to agree with you there. The listeners also go with that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it went to points, but I'm going to stick with that knockout there. And um, the, the final fight, I just miss, missed this one here. It's on the undercard. Cassius Cheney, friend of the show, heavyweight prospect, undefeated, 14-0. He takes on Christian Mariscal, who is 12-2. and And that is it. That's a six-rounder there. And that is it for the preview part of the show. Just before we wrap up the last thing to do, you you know what it is it's to welcome guest number two ladies and gentlemen please welcome the undefeated american prospect it is of course mr blair cobbs blair welcome back on the show my man hey Hey, it's great to have you back on. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you back on, Blair. Um, it was it was great having you on before. I remember at the time that you told us that you were uh, one of the first people to ever do a double backflip age five. I think a lot of people loved that one. Um, you know, we, we last spoke in July of last year. It was a couple of days before the Juan Rivera fight. Of course, you ended up winning the fight uh, over four rounds unanimously. Uh, the fight ended up, well, a bit of a crazy one because, of course, it happened that... Well, pretty much middleweight. Uh, what happened there? Oh, like in that 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 fight that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, most guys can't make the weight, man. So I just I just walk in, put a couple things in my pocket to try to make the weight look look even, and just go in and fight. That's how it usually is. Like I make 147 pretty easy, you know, because I'm only I'm only like 153, 154 walking around, and I train year year round. So yeah, because if I'm not <clears throat> so, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it like a last minute replacement of opponent for that fight? Or am I wrong there? Yeah, last minute pl- replacement opponent. Look, a lot of these fights, I'm actually calling out major fighters, but then they 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 don't they don't take the fight. Like okay, the one in Las Vegas. Where I I, uh, I got a, like a last minute guy. What ends up happening is that there was a there was a, a major Golden Boy fighter that was like nine and zero, ten and zero, and nine and zero, ten and zero guy. And I just came off my last win, and I'm like, uh, I want to get I want to I want to get on this on this card. They're like, no, we can't have you on the card. I was like, okay, then how about this guy? He don't have opponent. All right, I'll take that fight. And then they're like, uh, and then. The um the people the guy that um the guys from their camp said okay we'll take the fight and then they call back later on and and, and decline the fight they change their mind on the fight so what ends up happening I'm like okay 
I'm like, okay, all right, Golden Boy, how about this? Since he don't want to fight, how about you take him off the card and put me on the card? And and we'll put we'll put anybody in there. Anybody that's willing to fight or under their own short notice, we'll, we'll take the fight and we'll fight. And that's how we got on the card. We're kind of like muscling our way into the entertainment business of boxing um, through those those type of measures. Even in the last fight, I fought this guy uh, named Fidel Caribbean, and um, and that was kind of like a a last minute thing. Whereas though they didn't think I would take the fight, <laughs> like you know, because I was a major underdog. I'm right now we're we're in the process of just taking these big fights and and taking gambles and um and and making it and making the wins big too. Yeah, I want to get onto that in uh, in, in a moment or two. Obviously, that fight I mentioned mm-hmm. there against uh, Juan Rivera, you you were actually back in the ring just two weeks later. Of course, that one took place yeah. at welterweight. Uh, you went on to stop Emmanuel Valadez, uh, v- I believe it was in round two. Tell us about that one. Yeah, yeah, and that, that that's that's how it happened. Um, and um, I just I came in there hard and strong. Um, I was very excited from the last fight, and I just kept the momentum going, and um, and got that early stoppage. You know, at, like once once I get going and I have the experience, it's it's really not too much stopping me. I have a whole lot of experience and a whole lot of a uh, of um charisma and ability, especially when it comes to being in that for that four uh, square circle right there. So, okay. And like you mentioned there, most recently, last Thursday, you fought Ferdinand Karobian in his hometown. Obviously, Karobian was a decent amateur. Uh, he was the, the big favorite to, to, to win the fight, but you were able to unanimously outpoint him over eight rounds, marking that fight surely as your best win thus far, Blair. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely my best best win thus far. Um, it was a very exciting fight. I was very excited to, to have the fight presented to me I was very excited to be able to show my talent and my abilities if you look at the fight um closely I'm pretty much winning every single round I'm, I'm actually surprised that he survived because I like me personally I had him not not surviving that fight I thought that he would get knocked out within within like five rounds five not if if not knocked out stopped within five to six rounds and he he, he held on tough he held on tough, very tough, tough fighter. But um, if you if you look at the fight, I'm like really having a good time. I'm smiling. I'm 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 putting on a show, <laughs> and it's been like that from from point from the very very first day of the weigh in all the way throughout the fight in between the rounds. And it was it was a, it was a really fun experience being in there. Um, the the crowd was like. Really, really vicious. <laughs> they wanted to kill me after that fight. <laughs> and obviously, with the win, you you picked up the NABF Junior Welterweight title. Initially, uh, when I saw Junior Welterweight, I assumed it was one forty, but it's actually a welterweight title just because you're considered a junior, right? Yeah, it's the NABF Junior title. Yeah, exactly. They have they have uh, apparently they have two titles. They have the junior and then the the senior, which is the regular NABF title. And I'm pretty sure I will be getting the regular NA, in the, um, NABF title pretty soon. Um, but the junior title is um, is what we were fighting for. 
And it's funny because the play on words can make you think that it was the junior welterweight because the junior welterweight is a complete different um, division exactly, at yeah. 140. Exactly, yeah. It was a bit confusing when I first read it. But um, I've got to say this, Blair. In three of your last four fights, there have been accidental headbutts. Are you just extremely unlucky and you keep fighting guys that use their head or are you the culprit? <laughs> <laughs> you would think that, right? I'm uh... I'm, honestly, it's just it's just things that be just happening when these guys come in. Because the most recent and, um, fight you had, it was you got cut. Like, you got cut. The most recent fight on, on Thursday, <laughs> right? No, actually, I, I didn't get cut. I didn't get cut at all. Um, actually, like my my skin on one of my on one of my eyes had opened up, but that was like after the fight. Okay. After the fight had 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 gone through. Um, I had put some swell some inswelling stuff. It was a plastic bag, and the plastic bag. Um, kind of opened my face just the tiniest bit, and um, but like I, I didn't even get cut in the fight. It was actually the other guy that got cut. Um, what's happening is that these guys that come in there and they they use their head and they 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 try to come forward on me, and like instead of just me backing up because they think that I'm going to just back up and run away, I would stand my ground. And and like and that's how a headbutt, an excellent headbutt, a lot of times that stuff occurs, you know, from that particular uh, thing that happens. Okay. You okay. know, and and then there's a lot of other situations too. Like I fought this other guy that had a tons of fights, had a whole lot of fights, and there was an accident on headbutt again, but that was from a like the um the guy threw like the hook, and I ducked under it, and then he pulled my head, he pulled my head towards his face. To try to give me a, a, a like a um, a cut in my face, and uh, like what I ended up doing is pulling, like instead of uh like like uh just taking the impact of the face to face like headbutt, I I pulled my head down, so like I so like it like so his face would hit my forehead instead of hitting my face, <laughs> and it was just like oh my god he 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 pulled me into a headbutt. It was like I was like wow, like he come he almost got me. <laughs> Now, yeah, I, I probably asked you this last time that you were on the show, Blair. Um, I probably, I think, I, I think I said, you know, which division were you sort of targeting? I think you were, you were below one four seven before. Then we did the interview. Then you had this fight up at one fifty seven. Now you're back at welterweight. Welterweight is the division for you, right? Well, yeah. Like what ends up happening is that the first, my first fight with Golden Boy, they made me fight exactly one forty. And he had a guy coming up from probably 130s. I'm not sure. And um, it was very hard making the weight. I was weight drained ridiculously, and I had a horrible, a horrible fight because of it. My body couldn't keep up with that weight, you know. And it's and it's probably because like my I'm I'm training year round, so I don't really have any time off. So whatever my walk around weight is, it has that 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 has to be where I fight at, most likely. So like I I was walking around 147, 148, 149, and maybe up to like 50. I never really get too much past like 52, 53. And then when it was time to lose all that weight to 140, I just couldn't I couldn't get that last bit of pounds off. And then when I did, it, it was very hard for me to. Um, to have a good performance. So after that, I just decided, you know what? Me and my team told me, hey, my team told me, hey, you need to move up and wait like that. 
Like, that's completely different compared to what's going on when you're in the gym. And it, it, it was crazy because throughout the, throughout the preparation, I'm knocking out spawn partners. I'm doing great. I'm looking fantastic. And then I had to start losing the weight. And then the weight was really detrimental to my health. <laughs> and then so, like, I just, I just had to leave that alone. And then the other fights when I when I ended up uh, getting those fights that's a little bit higher than 147, um, it's because of the, these opponents they couldn't they never made weight they they were always like come in heavier than 147 so I just had to deal with that. But 147 is definitely my weight class, that's for sure. I, it, I, it takes absolutely nothing to make the weight for me because I walk around it and it makes it a whole lot easier. I only have one opponent. While these opponents, while these other guys are fighting, they got to fight the weight. They got to fight me. And then they also got to fight their own self with, with, with whatever uh, mental problems that they're dealing with. With me, I only have to fight my opponent. I don't fight my, I don't fight my weight. I don't, I'm not fighting the scale. I'm not fighting myself. I'm just fighting the opponent, and that makes it a whole lot easier. I feel like that was one of the biggest things that made a difference between, like, a me and, and and some of these other welterweights. Okay, okay, cool stuff. So so at welterweight, um, I want to talk about the champions. When we last spoke, you mentioned that you was a huge Manny Pacquiao fan. We talked about the upcoming at the time Pacquiao versus Matisse fight. I think I said it was like a real fifty-fifty because Pacquiao had you know he hadn't been looking so great recently with the horn loss and stuff like that. You adamantly picked Pacquiao to get the win. Not only did he get the win, he also stopped Matisse. Since then, he's also beat Brono and he's looked real good doing that. What do you want Manny to do next, Blair? Honestly, man, all I want Manny to do is just retire <laughs> and <laughs> retire and stay, you know, and stay safe, stay safe in boxing, just just stay safe and and retire and be and be the legend that he is and retire. That's that's what I think that Manny should do, you know, honestly, because Manny is one of my favorite fighters. But like right now, he's 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 uh he's he's expired, you know. In boxing, it's like this: everybody's eating at the table, right? There's a table. Anybody that truly wants it can get a seat at that table. But guess what? We all can't sit at the table at once. You know what I'm saying? So you have a seat. You have a seat, and when it's when it's the, when it's your time, when it's your time, you have to get up out your seat, or some young person is going to come along and snatch that seat right from under you <laughs> and sit down at that chair and sit down at that chair and then, and then that's just it. So, like, no matter what, like, you, you, your time is always going to be limited in boxing. Your time as far as uh, becoming a world champion, your time as being a legend, your, your time is always going to be limited. And right now I see uh, Manny Pacquiao as his time is up. You know, like even for me, even for me, like I look at him like, yo, dude, I, I could, I could eat him right now. Like he looks like a snack to me. He looks like okay, I, I could snatch that, snatch that right now. You know, and and it's not, it's not, it's not to say that uh, anything's wrong with Manny Pacquiao. It's just he's older, and he's uh he's he's up there in age, and and um it's it's about time for him to retire. He's 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 already done everything. He's given everything to boxing. So I think boxing needs to give a little bit more to him and, and allow him to retire gracefully. 
Okay, interesting point. Um, Errol Spence's win over Mikey Garcia. I mean, I'm one of Mikey's biggest fans. It was sad to see uh, him lose from my standpoint, but he was always, you know, going to be up against it, giving away that much size. Does that win do much for Spence, though? Does that win solidify him further as a top welterweight? Um, I think it, it helps a little bit, but I, I don't really know. Like, it's because the whole thing is, like, Mikey wasn't really a welterweight. And even even Mikey had his own flaws within, like, you know, his boxing abilities. So it, it was just, it was kind of like a, a token fight more so than, like, a, a fight that's going to catapult him to the next level. If you wanted a, a fight that could catapult him to the next level, he would take the Terrence Crawford fight. You get what I'm saying? Because Terrence Crawford is special. Terrence Crawford is blowing people out of the water um, and could beat even those guys that, that are like, that have the belt right now. Like the, like Sean Porter, he'll give Sean Porter a hard run for his money. He'll give pretty much anybody else a run for their money, even though he's a smaller guy. You know, as far as the smaller guy's concerned, that, that guy I feel like would be the better fight if he wanted to push his career to like that next hemisphere. He needs a mega fight. He needs a big fight with maybe Keith Thurman, um, Sean Porter, or uh, need I say uh, Terrence Crawford. Yeah, and speaking of those guys there, Blair, um, Keith Thurman, he's come back to the ring since we since we last spoke. He did brilliantly in the early part of the fight, but it ended very worryingly. Uh, what did you make of his ring return? That ring rust is certainly real. Yeah. I see a lot of ring runs. I see some technical difficulties. But I, I've always seen, like, some technical problems from him. Like, because, like, this, this division, of, as far as the welterweight is concerned, I'm watching everybody. I'm looking at everybody's little technical problems, everybody's skills, everybody's uh, strengths, weaknesses. I'm, I'm gauging everybody because everybody's a, a target for me. Everybody. Earl Spence, Terrence Crawford. Keith Thurman, all of them. All of them is a target for me. Sooner or later, one I, I might I'm, I might be fighting one of them. So when it comes to uh, Keith Thurman, yeah, the ring rush was uh was very was was it definitely showed. And and also it looks like he can't really get away from a straight punch. You know he has a hard time throwing straight punches because all his power he he loads up with these hooks, and it seems like like when when the going gets tough, he can't get away from those just basic straight punches because he, he got caught a few times with, uh, with the right hand. And, and I'm just sitting there like, man, he can't get away from that. He can't move his head or nothing at all. He, like his only retreat was to move his feet. And when when his uh, his feet weren't like uh, as fast, he, it kind of showed. It kind of showed a little bit. And He's still a great fighter, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of those guys. I was a big believer in him. I respect him a lot for obviously fighting Garcia and Porter back to back, beating them both. So for yeah. me, he, he's probably Absolutely. got the best, you know, the best wins of recent times over true welterweight. So I do have to throw a bit of respect on his name. Uh, the inactivity, a lot of people were kind of fed up with that. You know, he come back, he didn't look great, but look, if he wants to be active again, you know, I'm sure we'd all love to see that. Uh, the other man you mentioned, uh, Terence Crawford. 
Another guy that's looked at as possibly the best at 147, he takes on Amir Khan on April 20th. At first, I thought it was pretty much a mismatch and that Khan would get destroyed. But I must say, as the fight's edging closer, I, I think Khan's got a real chance. I don't think Crawford carries that dynamite in his fists. But then again, I also know you don't really need dynamite to put Khan on the canvas. Yeah, it's uh, I think that fight is going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Um... I've watched these guys very closely. Like for instance, I know the, I know the weaknesses of both of them, and we can we can we can we can start by the Superman of the of the division, which is Terrence Crawford. Right? Terrence Crawford has a hard time with talented fighters. Period. He has a he has a hard time with talented fighters that have way more talent than he does. Like, Terrence Crawford is not really talented, you know, like true talent. What he has is, is like that hard work and discipline. He has all these techniques. It's the reason why he's able to switch stance and, and do this and do that. And He does so many adjustments and makes so many adjustments in the ring. And the reason why is because he has to bridge that gap of talent. And most times, like especially in the amateurs, it doesn't always pan out. But now, as a as a pro, he's made a way to make it adjust, make it uh, work for him. Um. So like, with that being said, guess who he's about to fight? A highly talented fighter. You know, um, which is Amir Khan. So like that fight is very interesting because Amir Khan really does have a shot to beat. Um, Terrence Crawford, if he has the ability to to uh, you know control his mental stamina and his uh, his abilities, like for instance, the fight with uh, Gamboa. Gamboa came off very easy. It made it it made it look like it was going to be an easy fight, you know. And the only reason why Gamboa lost is because. He was Gamboa wasn't able to make adjustments and wasn't able to stay um, mentally stable. You know that's that's where like the uh, the fighters that are like highly talented, even people like myself, highly talented fighters, their biggest flaw most times is the fact that they beat themselves because they don't have the mental the mental stamina and the mental stability to withstand diversity because they're always the diversity. They're always change. They're always the one that everybody has to try to adapt to. You get what I'm saying? It's kind of like the Pacquiao versus, um, versus Marquez. Pacquiao never changes. He never changes throughout, throughout all of those fights, but guess who did change? Marquez. Marquez kept changing over and over and over again. As long as he can keep getting up from, from those knockdowns and screwing down, screwing his nose in, buttoning his ears back in, <laughs> he literally like he, you you knock him dead, and then he'll literally come back to life. And as long as he kept coming, getting up, and kept fighting, and kept fighting, and kept fighting, eventually he was going to get Pacquiao because he's the only one that's that's making the adjustment. The talented fighter like Pacquiao did not have to make adjustments because everybody has to adjust to what he's doing. So in the end, like that, like the talented fighter, um, that that's like their biggest kink, their big, their biggest flaw is 
learning how to make adjustments when um when those trials of diversity starts to come up. But now we gotta think about the the flaws of uh of Amir Khan. The chin, of course, is gonna be one of them. But his biggest flaw is that he uses his feet far too much. That he does like there's other things and there's other uh like technical things that 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 play a a difference too. He doesn't move his head. He moves his feet, but he can't move his head. He doesn't have any head movement. So all of his defense is has to be based around his foot movement and trying to catch if he can catch it with it. So basically he has to see it. He has to see it. He doesn't have any like basic conventional head movement, which can be a problem if um if Terrence Crawford can trick his eyes just for a second, you know, because that's, that's all it really took is just a second, and then boom. These guys usually catch them. I got to say, Blair, man, you, you you sound you sound so much like an old head on young shoulders. You know, you, you just hearing hearing you talk about some of this stuff, it's like uh, I'd, I'd think I'm speaking to a sixty year old guy that's trained like twenty world champions. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> let me let me ask Blair. Um, when when are you next out? Have you got any idea just yet when your next flight will be? Well, I'm trying to get back in there as soon as possible. Um, I'm still healing up from the last fight. Not not that much, just just a little bit of eye damage. So we're 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 in the, the eye is almost completely healed already. Um, so I, I should be back in on um, May fourth. We're trying to get on the undercard of the May, the uh, Canelo Alvarez fight in Danny Jacobs. Wow. I'm very excited to be a part of that fight. Wow. Um, and it's very exciting to even see that fight come to fruition. That's been a fight that I've always wanted to see. Um, I look up. I look up to uh, Danny. Um, Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs is a a very is a fine fighter. Is a very very fine fighter, and um and a fine man. Period. He's he has, he, he's incredible. They call him the magic man. Like he's he's a miracle. He's a miracle man. Really. He 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 fought cancer. Like how many how many boxers can ever say that? You know, it's it's incredible. And then we have of course Canelo Alvarez. I've known Canelo far before the world even knew him. I started boxing in Guadalajara, Mexico. I knew his I knew his training camp. I knew his uh his training part his uh his training partners and his his uh his trainer, uh Eddie Reynoso. I knew him long before like they even made it famous. <laughs> you know? So this it's it's very it's very interesting this, to see this uh this young man uh rise in the division to become like, you know, the the next big thing and it's it's awesome it's awesome to see that fight come to fruition. No, I mean it's brilliant. If 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 you end up on that undercard, that'd be unbelievable for you, Blair. Um, obviously, you know you're still connected with with Golden Boy. Golden Boy and and Matchroom have come together with with the Design platform. That kind of opens up all these other options now for any of Eddie Hearn's welterweights. You know you could quite easily be involved in a fight with any of those have you literally got anyone at the minute on your radar in a realistic world have you got any names you can throw out that you'd like to fight in the very near future perhaps for the undercard um not really and then the ones i do i kind of gotta keep to myself to That's fine. <laughs> I, I can't keep i can't catch people off guard if i'm calling them out right <laughs> but not really um right now it's just it's just about trying to gain the experience See through this fight that I just recently fought, um, I haven't even been able to 
to put out my best performance. I haven't even been able to put out what I've been able to do in the ring, I mean, in the gym. So everything has not completely converted to the actual fight because it's, it's still a, a process of get, of gaining the um, experience and gaining the experience in the ring, gaining the experience of taking everything from from preparation to the final product, which is the fight. So it's 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 a it's a process. It's a process of of getting all of that together, and then also still being a showman, still having um still because boxing is still entertainment. So I still have to also keep in mind that I have to make it entertaining while I'm kicking this ass. <laughs> so it's. It's a, it's a very uh it's a it's a process that I'm still going through and it doesn't really matter who I who I fight as long as they have a good record or whatever um, I'm willing to fight whoever you know um hey man I could be in a, I could be in a world title fight tomorrow <laughs> and like it's you're not going to see the the same Blair Cobb that was in the last fight so it's 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 an interesting road that I'm I'm willing to take. Yeah, and I cannot wait to see the next few steps of it, Blair. Just before we let you go, have you got any any closing messages, any closing words just for the listeners just before we let you go, Blair? Yeah, just uh, look out for me. My name is Blair, Blair the Flair. Look out for me, and um, you can check me out on Instagram, Blair.Cobbs, on Instagram, Blair Cobbs on Facebook. Woo! I'm back, baby, and better than ever. <laughs> Listen, Blair, I'd like to just thank you once again for coming on this week's show. It's it's great catching up whenever we do. Congrats once again on the win. I really hope you get on that May 4th undercard, and we'll speak again soon. All right, thank you very much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 180 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated welterweight prospect, Blair Cobbs, uh, Blair the Flair, and the former US Marine turned world title challenger. He really has had a fantastic story, and hopefully there'll be many more exciting chapters. Mr. Jamel Herring. The Prediction League currently stands at myself in the lead on 96 points. I'm almost there. Ayaz is in second place on 90 points and you the listeners are at the back on 89 but 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 there is another six points up for grabs this weekend. Um, it, it's a big, big weekend. It really is. I have actually got the chance here to, to to win the title and get 100 predictions right, which is crazy to think I was at the back trailing by by a few points at one stage, and now I'm running away with it. I'm absolutely loving life with the predictions. Uh, I don't want to tempt fate, though, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my fingers and toes crossed. But that is about everything, though, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast, and we'll see you all again next week.